Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. I want to thank uh, John Legend for being here with us this morning. Oh, no. Brian, Brian, sorry. <laughs> oh, man. What a week. Shall we pray together? Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for uh, this family of faith that we have. We pray for Gil on vacation and Sam and Corrine as they celebrate their marriage. And... Father, we also lift up the people of Ukraine and the situation um, in the war. We lift up the people of New York who are um, settling into a day after a mass shooting. And all the things, Father, the, the celebrations, the mourning, I know that you're in all of it. And I pray, Father, that um, as your children, you would stir us up to be the same to be people of celebration and people who mourn deeply, people who look for opportunities to bless and opportunities to help. And I pray, Father, that even through this day and as we talk, that you would stir our hearts to be more than just believing hearts, but hearts of faith. And so we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. They say practice makes perfect. You guys have all heard that before? Yeah. <laughs> Someone's really, <like>, yeah. <laughs> I tried that. <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm not sure who said it first, but the Honorable Bruce Lee said it like this. He said, practice makes perfect, and after a long time of practicing, our work will become natural, skillful, swift, and steady. Bruce Lee had a way with words, not just fists. (laughs) He said it beautifully, though. He said, if we routinely practice, the things we practice become part of who we are, become natural to us. They are ready to be used, swift and steady. Gil's not here today. Um, Gil is in Greece today. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But I'm pretty sure this quote is a pet peeve of his. Uh, So I said it when he wasn't here. Um, Because Gil would more closely align with this quote by Vince Lombardi. It says, practice does not make perfect. Only perfect practice makes perfect. In other words, if you are practicing with poor technique, what becomes natural and a part of you is poor technique. And you develop your skills unsteadily. 
And that is not ideal. That is not perfect. One more quote. This one's by the goat, Michael Jordan. He says, you can practice shooting for eight hours a day, but if your technique is wrong, then all you become is very good at shooting the wrong way. Get the fundamentals down, and the level of everything else you do will rise. You might have guessed that I am not an athlete these days, but I've heard these same things about music my whole life. When I was a teenager... You know, my friends were out and getting into trouble and smoking things they shouldn't be smoking. I spent four to five hours a day in my bedroom playing my guitar. And I practiced every day. I developed dexterity, fluidity, a really good ear for music, but I also developed a lot of bad habits because I was doing this in my room by myself without a lot of instruction. And so I learned chords the lazy way. I didn't always hold my fingers in the, in the right uh, direction or put my thumb in the right placement. <clears throat> but that became how I play guitar because that's how I, pra- I practiced. I tell my kids all the time because, you know, my, my oldest son, when he was young, he would say he would try something once and then be like, oh, I'm not good at that. And I would say, well, you haven't practiced yet. You just did it one time. And he was like, I don't want to do that again. I'm not good at it. So he found like if he didn't have a natural uh, feel for something that he just didn't really want to do it again. And so I would always tell him, Judah and Levi, when he got older, and I'm sure Bella, when she gets a little older, I'll be telling the same thing. Anything worth doing, anything you want to succeed at is going to take work. It's going to take practice. And it's going to take some repetition and doing things that don't feel very good in the beginning. When you had to develop calluses on your finger when you're not used to playing guitar, that sucks. But anything worth doing is worth working at. It's worth practicing for. We have people in our church family that are great at things. We have, uh, my wife, for example, can crochet anything at an advanced level. Brian can write poems, can write words that inspire people or at least, very least, make you think about something differently. Gil, Rick, and Jordan, they're all engineers. We have Kirk and Mary and so many others that are artists that have developed skills. Sam is a fantastic communicator. And so many, I think every one of us has this kind of area, like the more you live, right, the more you've done things over and over again, the better you get at them. And... The more effort you put in, the more we learn, the more we study, the more we grow, the more we improve, increase our skill level, the better we become at them. And the more natural, instinctual those skills become as we go about life. This is all very basic, and you guys are going, I know. I didn't come to church to hear quotes from Vince Lombardi or Bruce Lee. But the question that is begged to be answered when we're talking about these things is why do we still say that doctors are practicing when they're, <laughs> when they're operating on people? <laughs> I don't want someone who's practicing. I want an expert. No, I'm just kidding. The, the question that popped into my head is that if I've been a Christian for so many years of my life, for so long in my life, then why, when it comes to certain aspects in my life, do I still feel like I'm such a novice 
when it comes to Christian living, when it comes to my faith. Maybe it has something to do with this quote by William Arthur Ward. He's a motivational writer from the 30s. He said, do more than believe, practice. Do more than believe, practice. Here's how the Apostle Paul said it in Corinthians. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Man, that's some heavy stuff. I want to read that to you one more time in the message translation. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25. Actually, we'll go to 27. He says, You've all been to the stadium and seen athletes race. Every one of them runs, but one wins. Run to win. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. You're after one that's gold eternally. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving everything I've got. No lazy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else all about it, and then missing out myself. One time a long time ago, uh, several jobs back, I remember I was going to lunch with my friend Jesse, and we were walking through the break room, and there was a group of ladies, and they were talking about wedding planning, because one of the ladies had just gotten engaged, and they were all excited for her, and um, one of the ladies, when we were walking by, one of the ladies said, are you going to get married in the church? Because I, I knew them personally. They were all, the two ladies that were talking, they were Catholic. And um, so the church meant, are you getting married in the Catholic church? And the answer came back, and she said, no, we're not really practicing. And then my friend Jesse, who was kind of a clown, right, he was like, and he said it jokingly, he said, well, if you ain't practicing, how are you ever going to get good at it? And everyone laughed, and I laughed. But then we went to lunch, and I thought about it some more, and I was like, that's actually a pretty profound question. If you're not doing the things, what are you doing? And this idea is all over the pages of Scripture, of course. The term, the term gird your loins, or gird up your loins, or gird up the loins of your mind, that, that phrase is repeated over and over again from all the way back when God is questioning Job. So that's the very, uh, the, to the best of our knowledge, the earliest book ever written in the Bible is the book of Job. All the way back, the very first written book in the Bible, you, that, this term comes up. Gird your loins. And it's also written in Paul, by Paul and Peter in the New Testament. So all throughout the pages of Scripture, there's this idea of gird your loins, and we don't like, what does this mean? Sounds kind of weird. 
I eat pork loins, but that's the only experience I have with loins. But this idea is, in those times, right, the men wore tunics, right? Essentially, the men wore dresses, just like everybody. So they all had dresses on. But if you're going to battle, you can't really run with your dress on. (laughs) You don't look very fierce either. (laughs) So what they would have to do is they would pull up their tunic, and they would tie it, like, in between their legs. So essentially, now they're wearing shorts, right? And now they have mobility to run and to move and to be prepared for battle. So this idea throughout Scripture is get yourself ready because something's about to happen. And when God says it to Job, he's telling him, this is after Job's complaints, right? And God's like, all right, man, gird up your loins because I've got some questions for you. And God's like, prepare yourself because I'm coming after you. And, and so, and then, and then uh, Peter and Paul, right, they both talk about the same way. Grid up the, loins, the loins of your mind. Get yourself ready. They're both saying, hold nothing back. Prepare your mind. Be ready for what is next. And we know, because Sam tells us all the time, that faith is an action word. We say that all the time. And what is it to walk with God other than to love God and to love our neighbor? All of this has to do with being ready for what's next. Practice, girding your loins, holding nothing back. For far too long, we were taught that walking with Jesus just meant going to church, sitting in a pew or a chair, listening to a message, And then when it was over, we'd get up and maybe say, good word, preacher, shake some hands, and then go on with ordinary life. We may even believe the things that he taught. But remember, do more than believe. Practice. Okay, so practice what, you might say? How do we become practitioners of faith? Or practitioners of love. Sounds kind of like a Barry White song. <laughs> Sorry, I digress. <clears throat> some, some of you know that, some of you know this information, um, but I just found the parallel so, so uh, empowering to me. During the civil rights movement of the 40s, 50s, and 60s, one of the tools, maybe the most talked about tool utilized and taught by black leaders was this practice of nonviolence. To be clear, there was plenty of civil disobedience and good trouble, as they would say, uh, direct action, like not obeying unjust laws, not backing down, not going away when they were told to go away. They were, they were for sure, their idea was to agitate, but it was also to be non-violent. None of it was violent. Martin Luther King Jr., John Lewis, Jim Lawson, others, they took what Jesus said seriously, and they proactively put themselves in situations where they would have to love their enemy. They saw what Gandhi had done in India, combined his practice of nonviolence to the movement that they were leading in the South. 
this is, this is historical information, right? You guys have probably heard all this. But how did thousands of African-American men and women who were being beaten, fire-hosed, spat at, screamed at, mistreated in, in ways that no human being, no image-bearer of God should ever have to experience, how did they learn this? How did they just not retaliate in the way that most people would? With more vitriol and anger, the way we see on social media today, perhaps. What made these people respond in love? It was practice. It took practice. See, church in those days was not just to listen, it was to train. And yes, when they gathered at church services, they worshipped the unconditional love of God together. Yes, they studied the scriptures to be reminded of what Jesus said in his teachings. They sang songs, actually, to drive home the message of nonviolence. And several people, several witnesses, several people who lived through that era will talk about the songs, the songs, the songs. We sang these songs to unify us and to remind us that when we were going through hell on earth, that we had a different calling. So the songs that reminded them of this message of nonviolence became deep into their core. They practiced not retaliating at people who lashed out at them. They participated in what they call hassle lines. Hassle lines. And they role-played exercises where people would yell things at them and they would practice not responding in any other way than what we would say is loving your enemy. These things prepared them for how to behave non-reactively when people would say, uh, tell them that they couldn't be in that lunch line because that was for whites only. They would simulate situations where one might be inclined to react aggressively instead of practicing what they did. Some of the techniques were like, disengage and count to 100. Smile when you want to scowl. Smile when you're afraid. They would practice doing these things over and over again so that they became part of who they were, part of how they reacted. And this was a church service. They had official places that did trainings in D.C. as well. It was taken so seriously because this was life or death serious. How about your faith? How about mine? Is it serious to you? Over the next few weeks, um, we're going to talk about this idea of practicing. We're going to talk about spiritual practices that are meant to nurture our faith, our hope, and our love. When we talk about practice or training, there's always this risk that someone's going to take it to a moralistic extreme or make it... Um, what we call legalistic, and that's not, that's not at all the idea. This is to inspire faith, hope, and love. And if there's something that isn't helpful to you and what I might say, then just let it go and find something that is. Find something as we go on through this. But I do want to point out that in Luke 4, 16, when Jesus preached his first sermon, he went to the synagogue in his hometown and it says, he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue 
as was his custom. It was his what? It was his custom. It was his practice. It was his habit. This is what he did. It was something that he was accustomed to doing. So I hope that becomes our approach. It's not something that we have to do. It's something that we want to do, that we want to implement into our lives that becomes a practice, a custom, something that helps us grow. With all that said, our practices should move us closer to the kingdom, closer to kingdom living, closer to the example of Jesus, and deeper in love for one another. So I propose we start with an easy one today, and we'll get deeper next week. This is mostly a setup. (laughs) But number one, let's start with the spiritual practice of shifting from just believing to living in faith. In James 2.19, he says, You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Believing is an intellectual exercise. One can say, I believe in God, or I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But if one says those things, but does not practically or functionally trust God, then that person's faith isn't the most important thing about them. They're saying, I believe something, but there is no functionality to their belief. Faith in God is closer to relying on God or trusting in God. Beliefs are statements about faith. So I know people who can't recite a creed, don't know the first thing about dispensational theology or New Covenant theology, couldn't tell you what TULIP means or any kind of systematic theology whatsoever. And yet they have more faith, more dependency on God than the most studied theologians. Faith is bigger than belief. So I deliberated on going deeper into this, because I think I'm going to offend everybody in the room. But if you will, if you will, listen through and then get mad at me later. If you believe in helping destitute people, if you think as a Christian, I see the heart of Jesus reaching into the lives of marginalized people and helping and doing something, if you believe, or in your heart, you know, you have a heart for homeless people or abused people because you see the heart of Jesus in that kind of work, I am with you 100%. We should be helping people, but then relying on the government to do that work or sitting back and saying the government has programs for that. That's not putting our trust in God. That's letting somebody else do the work. Likewise, if it's really important for you to see prayer back in schools and the Ten Commandments posted in more places, then you're concerned with the appearance of belief. And, and maybe you think 
that these things will make more believers in our country, and that's good and fine. But if you also make it a priority of voting in favor of massive military budgets and stockpiles of nuclear weapons, maybe your faith isn't in God, but in a nation that's strong. Now, maybe our faith and beliefs need more alignment, and we need to find new ways to become peacemakers. Now that I have successfully made both sides of the political aisle angry, um, let me point out that these inconsistencies happen in our own lives as well. Because it's easier to say, I'm a believer, while functionally not relying on God. It's easier to say, I go to church, even if we never even try to love our neighbor. It's easier to say, I believe in Jesus, while not even trying to live like Jesus. It's easier to say, I believe, than I have faith. I believe God is good, and I, and I trust him with my salvation. But you know, this, my relationship, I'm going to keep a little bit separate because I don't want you know, this girl or this guy to think I'm that crazy. I'm going to keep this separate. I trust God with my time on Sunday morning. But I'm not so sure, you know, he needs to be in my bank account. (laughs) I trust God with my morality. But I'm not so sure that he needs to be involved in my politics. We We create these dichotomies. And... The gap might be wide or the gap might be small in your life. This is the human condition. We say we believe something, but then we act differently. We say we believe something, but we functionally trust something else. I've always said that that, that's the gap, right? This is is the plight of Christianity. This in, in the middle, this is called sanctification. And when we bring these things together, we're... We're aligning our lives. But that's the work. That's the practice. That's what takes realigning our thoughts and our minds. That's gritting up the loins of your mind, getting ready for what's next. So this is our first spiritual practice. This is a weird one maybe for you. I'm not up here talking about the spiritual disciplines that you probably learned a million times, I, I thought I wanted to take a little different approach to this and go outside the box a little bit. So um, practice not calling yourself a believer. You guys do that? I looked at my Facebook this morning right before I came here and it said, under religious views, I wrote, I'm a believer. And then I changed it today to I'm a person of faith. Because it's easy to say you're a believer but it's harder to say you're a person of faith or Jesus follower if you're really bold, right? Like, (laughs) do something different. Practice not calling yourself a believer and start calling yourself a Jesus follower or a person of faith or a man of faith or a woman of faith or whatever you need to do. When someone asks if you believe in God, rather than saying, yeah, tell them why you trust him. Tell them why... You put your trust in God. 
One of the things that's happened in Christianity over the centuries since the Reformation is that, you know, we've lost some awe. We've lost some of the awe in being in the presence of God. We've lost some of the reverence. And, and for me, especially, this one rings true, I've lost discipline. I've lost some discipline in my relationship with God. Because there's something, like, we make it so casual, and I'm not against it. Like, I'm, you know, I, I wear the same T-shirt every week. <laughs> um, I'm, not, I'm not against, I don't, I'm not saying that we need to, you know, come back to suits and top hats and go to church and dresses. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that in, inside of who you are, your spirit, that when Jesus is your homie, it's easy to forget that the world was made for him. When we make him like buddy Jesus, with the, you know, dashboard Jesus, it's easy to forget the magic of the moment when he showed up in your life and dropped a love bomb all over you. It's easy to forget the magic of who he is and all creation and the immense and the immensity of who he is. And as we travel through these next couple of weeks together and every way we can, I want us to show up with wild expectations. Not, not just that like, okay, I'm going to go do this thing. This is, a, this is my custom and that's cool and that's good. But what if we showed up expecting that the creator of the universe is in our midst and he's here because he loves you. And we worship him because he's good and worthy of our worship, not because he's demanding our worship. And we show up expecting something great to happen because he's great. And he's here because he loves you. He's here to dote on us the love that he wants to show the watching world through us. We get to pay that forward, and that should feel exciting. That should, be, that should feel exciting. In 2 Peter 1, I'm going to close here. Peter tells us that we already have been given everything we need to live the way God wants us to. But then he also tells us that on top of that, on top of this basic faith, he tells us to add to it. This is from the message. He says, so don't lose a minute in building on what you've already been given. Complimenting your basic faith. He says, don't, don't lose a minute in doing this. Get to work. Pra start practicing these things. Don't lose a minute in building on what you've already been given. Building on top of what you've already been given. Complimenting your basic faith with good character spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, and generous love, each dimension fitting into and developing the others. With these qualities active and growing in your lives, no grass will grow under your feet. No day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of our Master Jesus. Without these qualities, you can't see what's right before you. Obvious, 
that your old sinful life has been wiped off the books. So my friends, this is what I want to do. I want to take the faith that we all have. This is what makes us family. This is what makes us connected. And I want to see us build on top of it. Let's add to our faith character, understanding, discipline, patience, wonder, friendliness, and above all, love. Love for one another. Love for the people in our lives. And this is what we're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks. And I pray this will be a conversation that goes on for a long time. And we do this together. Amen? Amen. All right. Father, thank you for your word that challenges us, that takes us out of our comfort zone, that makes us look deeply into the world that you've created and to the people that you love. The people that look different than us, the people that think different than us, the people that have beliefs that are different than us. And Father, I pray that you would help us to love them and reach out with the love of Christ. And by doing so, I pray that this world would look more and more like the kingdom of Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes. And Father, we know that you have given us what we need to live. We ask for the leading of the Spirit to lead us in deeper, deeper into your kingdom, deeper into our walk with Jesus, and deeper in love with one one another. And we ask this in his name. Amen. God bless you guys. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.